Craft Beer Radio presents the 2012 Saver Salons. For the fifth year, we recorded the salons at Saver. This year, there were 18 in all, six educational salons and 12 private tasting salons. You can find all the Saver podcasts, including ones from the past five years, all on our website at craftbeerradio.com. Odell Brewing Company's Woodcut Offerings, a vertical tasting of Doug Odell's limited release Woodcut Series. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming to your Saver Salon. We're here for Odell Brewing Company Woodcut Offerings Vertical Tasting. My name is Spencer Paulison. I'm marketing coordinator for the Brewers Association. Just going to provide a quick intro to the salon here. Um, for starters, just want to let you know that Saver is put on by the Brewers Association. And the Brewers Association also promotes the Great American Beer Festival in Denver, Colorado each year, which is highly recommended for all you beer lovers. And um, it's a fantastic event as well. The Brewers Association is also the publisher of craftbeer.com, which is a great resource if you want to learn more about beer, lots of interesting stories, opinion pieces, and things like that as well. Uh, big thanks to our supporters that help make Saver possible, especially our host supporter, Race Beverage Group. And uh, as well as Spiegelau, which you each got a Spiegelau glass on your way in, and you're welcome to keep that if you'd like to take it home with you. And uh, so now I'm happy to introduce to you a brewer whose beers I enjoy on a pretty regular basis, living in Colorado myself. Uh, Doug O'Dell has been a home brewer since 1975 or thereabouts, and uh, spent a little time working at Anchor Steam in the 1970s. He has uh, some, some studies in brewing science under his belt at UC Davis, which he took in uh, late 80s. And in 1989, he started Odell Brewing uh, pretty much by himself, and he was the sole employee for a while. And nowadays, it's obviously grown leaps and bounds from where it began. Uh, they produce about 58,000 barrels on an annual basis, and they're distributed in 10 different states throughout the Rocky Mountain and Great Plains region, as well as the United Kingdom. So without further ado, join me in welcoming Doug Odell. All right. Okay. Um, well, it's a small enough room that I could talk to you this way, but uh, the uh, videographers asked me to use the, uh, the mic. So um, anyway, thank you for coming, and it's a pleasure to be here in D.C. So tonight we're doing something that uh, actually I've never done before, which is a vertical tasting of our woodcut beers. And uh, we have woodcut number two through five. I think two came out uh, maybe in 2010. Number one was in 2009, maybe 2008. I've kind of, you know, the, uh, d the dates kind of uh, blend together. And I'm, uh, first of all, I want to apologize that we don't have number one here because it was my mistake. We didn't save any. Uh, <laughs> so um, after Woodcut number one came out, um, we decided to save like 10 cases of each vintage. And so we sent uh, one case each of two through five for the tasting tonight. So uh, it's going to be an experience for you as well as me. So thanks a lot for coming. Let's try it out. Uh, let's start with woodcut number two, um, woodcut golden ale. The, uh, the premise behind the beers is that these beers are strong ales, uh, in one case lager, that they're about 9, 10, 11%, somewhere in that range. And they're big enough beers to be able to uh, be aged in uh, American oak barrels. And so woodcut to us means brand new American oak virgin barrels that we buy just to age the woodcut. And once the woodcut is out of there, we use them for something else. So it's always brand new barrels uh, on the woodcut. And um, I also want to say that um, since I haven't tried some of these beers in quite a long time, I'll apologize in advance if some of them aren't so good, uh, because <laughs> I, I think they will be. But uh, 
you know, a vertical tasting is just that. It's uh, many years over time, and uh, it it's really up to you to decide if the beer is has aged well or not. So, um, uh, typically, beers do age well. Stronger beers, oak barrel aged beers, um, but this is really a, a, a discovery tasting, just like uh, for me, just like anybody else. So, uh, actually, I haven't tried Woodcut 2 in quite a long time. I have some in my personal cellar, uh, but I tend to hoard them. <laughs> and uh, any questions anytime are, are welcome. Pardon me? Uh, four to six months is typically how long we leave the, the, the beer in the, in the oak barrels. And we buy the oak barrels from um, a company in um, Lebanon, Kentucky, called Canton Cooperage. You from Kentucky? <laughs> right? <laughs> and then we have another series of beers that um, we age in bourbon barrels, which also come from Kentucky, but this is not, this was uh, a not a bourbon barrel beer. This is a brand new oak barrel beer. They cost about, uh, Four hundred and fifty to five hundred dollars for a seventy-five gallon uh, barrel, but that's not really the point. the The cost is uh, is separate from our intention, and that is to uh, produce a beer that uh, has an oak character, an aged character, and um, and hopefully is distinctive. Now, when I taste this, um, actually, I won't really, um, I don't really want to talk about it. I'd like to ask you, what do you, what do you, what do you smell? What do you taste? What do you think? Vanilla? Vanilla? Caramel. Caramel? Okay. Uh, I would say the vanilla comes from um, the oak, certainly. Uh, when you taste any nice bourbon that's been, been around in the oak for a long time, vanilla is a, uh, a prime component of that. Caramel, too, I guess. Um, raisin, dark fruit. Yeah, that would come from the age. I get that as well. Uh, that's that comes from the oxidation. Uh, every liquid that you ever put in a bottle is going to have a little bit of oxygen, either getting to it in the process or in the filling process. And oxidation in a beer like our 90 Schilling or Easy Street is, is not a good thing. Those, those beers are supposed to be drunk um, pretty quickly. But oxidation can really uh, make a beer distinctive if it's, a, if it's a strong beer that's been aged for quite a while. And so you're exactly right when, when you say uh, dried fruit raisins. Uh, that's what I get out of uh, a kind of an aged beer. This is our oldest one, so we'll see if that uh, oxidation uh, characteristic passes through in, into the newest one we have. Pardon me? Oh, the base beer. Yeah, um, a, uh, we call it a gold nail, although it's, uh, it has darkened over time. And so it was uh, about a 9% uh, Ale where we, we perhaps used a bit of uh, crystal malt, but mostly it's just pale malt. And, um, and our typical, our standard ale yeast that we use in our brewery. Uh, as, we get, as we go on, uh, we use some different yeasts uh, in the later ones. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> Oh, you think it? Well, you see, uh, butterscotch typically is uh, well. It's uh, provided by a diacetyl, and you can get that through uh, the yeast you use, uh, fermentation, or uh, it can be a bad fermentation. Diacetyl can be caused by bacteria, but I, I can tell you for sure there's no bacteria in this beer because you'd also get sour if uh, if the bacteria was in there. So. Um, you know, if you, if you consider this a uh, an English style old ale, well, then maybe uh, diastole a small amount would be uh, appropriate. I get a bit of a spicy note on the nose. Yeah. yeah excuse my you know, 
corner store language, but it, it's almost like an atomic fireball, like a little red fireball. Like, like the uh, we have used uh, candy sugar, but not in this beer. Uh, later on, it does come. Uh huh. Yeah, it could. Um, but uh, up until actually woodcut number six, which is in the barrels right now. We have concentrated on a malty profile in our woodcut series. Uh, number six is going to be a hoppy one, so we'll see how that uh, plays out with the barrel aging. But we don't have that tonight because it's in the barrels back at our brewery. So I, I really think that when, when smelling and tasting this, this is a um, prime example of a beer that has been aged for three years. And hopefully there's still some oak character in there, some vanilla character, woody. I think it's dissipated a little bit, um, but it's still there. Uh, wood to bottles. Well, stainless for like one day, you know, so we can uh, blend all the barrels. And um, in each one of these offerings we have tonight, I want to tell you that uh, our process, and not just with Woodcut, but any of our 750 milliliter beers, we, uh, our barrel manager, Brett Cardle, uh, brings out all the beers out of our cellar, all the barrels, when we're getting ready to bottle the beer, and we taste every one of them. And it's really a cool sight when you're out in the warehouse and seeing all these barrels lined out there. And, um, and so we taste every one to make sure that each one of them is going to be a good contributor to the final final beer. And if it's not, sometimes it becomes something else or sometimes it goes down the drain. Yeah. Pardon me? Well, uh, I wouldn't say in, um, in the new oak barrels, we, we do. But in, uh, like when we use wine barrels or, or bourbon barrels, Yes, we do see some differences uh, from barrel to barrel. Although there was one in, um, I think it was Woodcut 4, where somehow Britannomyces got in the, in the, in the barrel. And Britannomyces, for those of you who don't know, is a, uh, well, people call it a wild yeast, but it's just a, it's just a yeast that's different than a standard brewer's yeast. And even though that that barrel was a wonderful tasting barrel. It didn't fit in the woodcut program. And we made a big mistake by uh, saying, this barrel is so good, we're going to let it go for a while and see how much better it gets. And um, we learned from that that if a, if a beer tastes good in a barrel, drink it then. Because <laughs> it can only, uh, it can get better, but it may get worse. In this case, it did. So uh, that was a, a barrel of our loss to have that. So, um, yes, I mean, that's, that's what's fun about barrel aging is that um, the, uh, the beers are different every, in, every, uh, in every barrel. And so we actually um, enjoy being kind of like the winemaker at that point where we, we taste the barrels and blend them together to get what we want. What temperature do you keep barrels? Uh, temperature that's kept to our barrels. Um, Typically, room temperature uh, for the woodcut, and sometimes we go into the cooler. Now, one thing we learned by uh, visiting uh, bourbon uh, brewer, uh, distillers in Kentucky is that the natural fluctuation between um, summer and winter, uh, where they because they don't have temperature-controlled uh, bonding warehouses, and so during the winter it's cold. And so the, uh, what's in the oak tends to migrate to the liquid. And in the summer, when it's hot, what's in the liquid tends to migrate into the oak. And so that repeated back and forth is what brings that bourbon character. And so we've used that same idea uh, with our beer. And so sometimes cold, sometimes warm. All right, so uh, 
Ready to try number two? Or number three? That, that was number two. <laughs> number one is uh, about 15 bottles left, so I uh, couldn't bring it here. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, Woodcut number three is a uh, what we call a crimson ale. It's a red ale with some crystal malt and also aged in brand new American oak barrels from Missouri or Kentucky. We're not sure where they come from, but somewhere over there. So you'll you'll uh, see that this beer is a um, a bit darker in color. And um, perhaps a, more, a bit more toffee in character. You know, I'm just kind of guessing because I don't have it on, in front of me. So uh, this is just what I remember. But hopefully at the same time, still the oak character, the vanilla, the woody character. Once again, this beer was in the oak for about, it depends. Uh, some barrels are four months, some are up to six Yes, yeah. Um, it was a red ale, or base beer. And uh, as you'll see in all of our, our beers, that these beers are bottle conditioned, which means that we um, ferment and age the beers uh, without carbonation. And once we send the beer to the uh, carbonation tank, um, it's still not carbonated, and we fill the 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 bottles uh, after adding some sugar, and so we do uh, bottle conditioning on all these beers. So that means that there's we inject a little bit of yeast back into the bottle, and some sugar, and it goes undergoes a, uh, a refermentation in the bottle, and that's what provides the carbonation. So if you're looking for clarity. Uh, don't look too hard. <laughs> Can you speak a little bit about the uh, recarnation card in regards to that? Sure. Because we had a big worry that the symbolic conditioning had some issues with all this exploding. And I think it was at SCBC the discussion was about perhaps getting some sort of Play Doh before you put it into the bottle. I mean, what do you do to ensure that you're getting your full fermentation but also? Okay. Well, the question is, um, how do you make sure that you can bottle condition to the proper carbonation and not have residual sugar that may make the bottle explode? Um, I can tell you we're not immune from that problem, uh, but I think we're doing pretty well now. Early on, it was it was a problem sometimes because it's uh, you know brewing is a science and science is not not always exact. So um, we've, uh, I think we've gotten pretty well, uh, pretty good at, at, at getting the right amount of uh, sugar put back into the, into the bottle, plus the right amount of yeast, so that you don't have too much of a layer in the bottom, but it, it is enough yeast to, uh, uh, to reinvigorate the sugar and carbonate the bottle. Um, I would say that most times when you have exploding bottles, it's that perhaps you didn't um, let the beer go to full fermentation in the beginning, which means that you might, maybe there was still fermentable sugar in the beer, and sugar being a byproduct of uh, malt, that maybe you started chilling it before the, the sugar was totally consumed by the, by the yeast. And yeast acts on temperature and food. So if, uh, if you remove the food, it'll stop uh, being active. If you chill the temperature, it'll become dormant. And so maybe that's what it was. Uh, you never know, case by case basis. Right. 
Uh, this one would be two and a half, three, maybe. Uh, I still, I still get some of the, um, some of the dried fruit character. A little bit of caramel in there. I mean, but it's really up to you to decide what what you're smelling in this and and tasting in this. But uh, certainly, the best way to taste a beer is to um, in a glass like this, with a, a wide globe with a narrow. Uh, neck. So swirl it, smell it. This doesn't work for Bush, by the way. <laughs> I'm getting a little bit of a bitterness. Would that be something you contributed more? Bitterness in the flavor? Well, um, I haven't tasted it yet, so I'll just speculate. Um, on these first uh, three, we didn't use a whole lot of bittering hops, and so we tried to accentuate the malt. Um, but then part of the, uh, the process of uh, barrel aging in oak is that it's the same as Cabernet Sauvignon, let's say, that uh, there are tannins that are released from the oak. And tannins um, on your palate are, they're not bitter, but they're astringent. And so there's a difference to me. Bitterness kind of comes and goes. Astringency kind of holds on. And so um, we wanted a bit of oak astringency, but not too much. So uh, do you think that's what you're getting? Yeah, it's kind of a dry finish. And to us, uh, the uh, ultimate beer is a combination of, of uh, nice malt character on the front of your tongue, followed by a dryness of some kind at the back of your tongue, whether it be bitterness or sour or uh, astringency, hopefully not too much astringency. And uh, so you go from sweet in the front of your tongue to the bitterness in the back of your tongue. And after, after you have that experience, all you want to do is have another experience just like that. Let's go with uh, number four. So, uh, number three, uh, to me, had some of the same characteristics as two, uh, both the dried fruit and um, some oak character, some vanilla, but a bit of caramel or toffee on the palate. And I uh, do need to apologize, um, since I didn't preview these beers beforehand, if, if any of them are bad, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but uh, I can guarantee that our, our beer downstairs, which is fresh, is good. But when, once you get into aging, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, we'll see. Pardon me? What's your take on barrel-aged beers? Do you prefer to drink them fresh, or do you think that maybe they will get a little better as time goes by? Well, the question was, um, what's my take on barrel-aged beers? Do I like them now or as time goes on? Uh, as far as barrel-aged beers, I think I like them as time goes on. But as far as our regular beers like 90 Shilling and IPA and, and Five Barrel... I mean, those beers are meant to be... I mean, they're best off the bottling line. And one thing I always like to do when, when I'm taking people around our brewery, take them into the bottling line, just grab an un, uncapped beer after it's gone through the filler but hasn't gotten to the capper yet, and just hand it out. Because uh, beers like 5% 90 or 5 barrel are the best when they're fresh. But it's an entirely different experience when, um, when we're doing aged beers. And the consumer should expect something entirely different than a nice, fresh, flavorful, uh, clean beer. And like you said here, uh, so much of the aging 
really turns into dry, uh, dried fruit, dark fruit. Raisin, dates, uh, dried apricot. It, it really does become pretty interesting as you age the beer. Uh, the question is, um, do I have recommendations about how to cellar a beer like this? I would say the same thing as wine. Uh, my cellar at my house is in my basement, and I would say that in Colorado, you know, it gets pretty cold. And so in the winter, um, my cellar is surrounded three sides by earth, so it's in the basement. And so my cellar ranges from 58 degrees to 65, maybe, in the summer. And so just constant temperature is what I would recommend to uh, cellar really anything. You know, even if you want to um, buy some expensive wine or, uh, or whiskey. I don't know if whiskey ages in the bottle, but uh, maybe it does. <laughs> no? Once it's in the bottle, that's it, huh? <laughs> okay. But wine and beer, you know, you really ought to treat it the same way because we as brewers treat it the same way. Uh, we're very careful about, about the barrels we include in these aged beers. And so we pick them because we think they have aging potential. But at the same time, after maybe eight months uh, that we put them out, they're ready to drink now. And so it's really your choice. Do you want to try it now, or do you want to let it age? And, uh, you know, you've seen those, those uh, little paper things on, at, the, at the wine store saying, oh, we'll get better until 2020. Well, maybe so, but it's your choice. Uh, I can't bring myself to do that, uh, I, because I don't know. I need one. I haven't got one yet. Number four. Double Martin. Well, um, we use two yeasts primarily in our uh, in our brewery. Our standard one that we use for our IPA and ninety shilling Easy Street. Uh, the regular beers we put out is a ale yeast and. For those of you who don't know, uh, ale yeast uh, typically use that to uh, ferment at higher temperature. And in our case, it's definitely a, um, uh, a top fermenting yeast. And so just by nature, ale yeast tends to produce a, uh, a fruity, more, well, fruity uh, character and also accentuate the hops that you put in there. Uh, lager yeast is, is used typically for a beer that is fermented at colder temperatures, around 50 degrees. And our, uh, if you leave here and go downstairs, our double pilsner is a log our lager yeast. So it, I would say that lager yeast tends to be subtle in nature, crisp in character, and... Uh, ale yeast is a bit more uh, over the top. A friend of mine once time, one time said that, um, and he was a lager brewer, he, uh, he said, oh, it's so, so much more elegant, lager yeast. And I said, uh, well, I think that lager yeast uh, underwhelms you with character, and, uh, <laughs> and ale yeast really delivers. So... That's what we do. But uh, on as far as what got number four, this is our lager yeast, and we uh, 
we developed a Merton style of beer. And this is, uh, Merton is a, uh, a German style, kind of like Doppelbach, but maybe, uh, lighter in color. But still the same idea, a strong beer. So let's see how it, uh, how it paired with the oak barrels. Ah, interesting. I get a little smoky in this. I, I'm not sure why, but uh, it's not like we use smoked malt. But really, speak up. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, you won't offend me if you don't like it. <laughs> or if you do, I won't be too happy. Right, yeah. Um, when when uh, brewers talk, use the term double, like IPA or Meritzen, like we do here, or um, um, stout or anything like that, it's not, I mean, the idea is that you come, come close to double the amount of malt and double the amount of hops, maybe not so much the hops, maybe sometimes more than double the hops. Um, but you're really going from a standard beer that is like 5% to think something more like 9 or 10. And so um, it's the same style, but just a stronger version of it. And so that's uh, when we talk about this being a double Martzen. Um, yeah, Martzen is, is typically, it's a stronger beer in Germany, maybe six at the most. So uh, this one is... I don't know. Have you got a uh, uh, ABV on that? <laughs> Alcohol <laughs> by volume on there. What? Eleven point three. So that yeah, that's definitely double. But uh, once you get to uh, something like eleven point three, it really does age nicely. I, re I really get some oak out of this. Uh, not so much dried fruit, but still the fresh oak character. Pardon me? Um, you know, I played ignorance. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I would say about, uh, I think number four has been out for about a year and a half in the bottle. Oh, May 2010. All right. Yeah. Two years then. Okay. Oh, you know that. Okay. Hi, Corky. I didn't see you. My sister, my sister Corky, back over in the corner. Well, the question was, uh, am I a bourbon fan? Uh, not really. I, uh, I learned a lot about four years ago when uh, a couple of our brewers and I went to Kentucky to uh, visit distilleries to find out what kind of barrels we wanted to use. Um, but I, I confess that when I was in high school, I drank a bunch of cheap bourbon one night and got sicker than hell. And so... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, not really. But, um, but I do appreciate a well-made bourbon, especially one that's been aged a long time. It has a lot of those characteristics, caramel and booze, and obviously the oak being in Yeah, and vanilla. And, yeah, I've, I mean, bourbon's aged in oak barrels as well. And so, once you, when you, uh, the process of making bourbon, is when you, uh, once you put the initial alcohol into a uh, barrel, yes, it's been made by grain, um, but it's pretty tasteless. And so the flavor of bourbon really comes out of the barrel that you're using. And so that's our uh, whole intent with the woodcut, that we do the same thing. Yeah.
Oh, well, um, sorry. Uh, well, the woodcut is all brand new barrels. We do some other beers with bourbon. And, um, well, I can tell you that when we went to uh, visit Kentucky and, and looked at different distillers' beers or, or barrels, that uh, Jim Beam was the worst barrel. It just smelled like, <laughs> smelled terrible. And uh, something like Maker's Mark or uh, Woodford Reserve, which we use on some of our beers, those were nice barrels. Harshness, I think. Uh, was it sweet or was it just kind of hurt your nose when you smelled the barrel? Uh, that was it. But it corresponds to the, to the, uh, the value of the bourbon you're drinking. Well, let me tell uh, the, the question is about Heaven Hill uh, Distillery in Kentucky. Heaven Hill is one of the largest ones in Kentucky. And um, yes, they make really cheap bourbon, but they also make really good bourbon. And so maybe uh, the ones you've been talking about is, is coming from the, the good barrels. Maybe I should be drinking Heaven Hill again. Oh, I wouldn't say it's naturally, necessarily Heaven Hill. Um, there are only six or so distilleries in Kentucky and look at all the the brands of whiskey that are out there uh, every distillery makes multiple brands all the way from the you know the cheap 38 months minimum to uh, you know the 12 year stuff and so um, yeah don't judge a distillery by by one whiskey <laughs> they all make good stuff uh, shall we go to number five? Okay. Flame? Flame. Oh, uh, the question was, are the barrels flamed? Yes, that's the um, definition of bourbon barrels, is that they're charred uh, black inside before they're filled. And bourbon, uh, one of the defini definitions is that... Um, the producers are only allowed to fill them once. And then after that's, after the, the bourbon is out of there, then they become available to uh, garden supply companies or, or breweries, hopefully. And so we've gotten our share that way. Well, but uh, uh, the question was, do I use this uh, the barrel once and then move it on to something else. Uh, let me remind you that the woodcut series that you're tasting here tonight is, um, is just brand new barrels. We, we make other, bar uh, other beers that we use bourbon barrels. Yeah, but we don't throw the barrels away. Uh, we use them for something else because there's still life left in them and eventually they become a, a nice holding vessel. But typically what we use our, um, our uh, woodcut barrels for after the first use is our freak, our Belgian Lambic uh, cherry raspberry sour. And so uh, that's where they go. Oh, once, uh, the question was, once, once we do a lambic in there with the bacteria, are they done? Well, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's all you can use them for after we put the bacteria in there. And I don't know, uh, mostly, unless you know about beer, uh, bacteria doesn't sound like a very good word. Um, but it is because, uh, especially lactobacillus and secondarily, uh, pedococcus, really contribute nice flavors to beer. Nice sourness, a nice woody character. And it's not going to hurt you, like if lacto was in, uh, in milk, for instance. From, uh, from where? No. Well, uh, 
They're actually not charged. Uh, the question was the barrel we used for the um, woodcut. Uh, he asked if it was charred. No, it's not, but it is toasted. And so it's more of a wine barrel in that uh, if you go to the barrel factory, you can see that the, once they complete the barrel and leave the ends off, they put it on a big fire and fire it for a little bit. And I would say it looks brown when it comes out of that firing rather than black and burned. And that's the difference between a, uh, a beer and wine barrel uh, preparation compared to a, uh, a bourbon. And so all of these uh, beers that we have tonight are aged in either what we call medium or medium plus toast. So it's called toast, not charred. And that's a kind of a barrel maker term. And uh, I don't know, I think it's pretty cool. It all fits together. Yeah. It had the bourbon barrel stout. Oh, thank you. And that went also to Salvatore. But the bourbon barrel stout that you had this year, is that which, uh, which distillery was that from? Uh, the question was uh, where did the barrels come from on uh, our current bourbon barrel stout, which is, I think it's all sold now. We, haven't, we don't have a new one in process, but uh, Woodford. Um, yeah, uh, Labrat Graham uh, Distillery in in um, in Kentucky. So Woodford Reserve, uh, really nice bourbon. We we visited four distilleries and decided that that one and Maker's Mark were the ones that we wanted to use the barrels for. Pardon me. Yes. Yeah. When we do buy bourbon barrels, we buy uh, directly from uh, Woodford. And Woodford is owned by, like, Diageo or somebody like that. I mean, it's a, it's a huge company. But they have left intact this little distillery in this idyllic uh, valley uh, in the horse, horse hills of uh, Kentucky. It's just a beautiful place. So I, I recommend if you ever get down there, definitely go see Woodford. It's a great place. All right, so now we're to... Uh, uh, Woodcut number five. Still a, uh, a bit of dried fruit and some oak. Though the difference on this one is that uh, unlike number two and number three where we used our standard oil yeast and number four where we used our lager yeast, number five here we used a, uh, a Belgian style yeast. And so we call it a Belgian quad. But it was also... Uh, merged with our standard ale yeast, so it's, it's kind of there, but not all the way as a Belgian quad. So just hints of that character. And to me, Belgian quad is um, fruity, maybe some bubble gum, uh, hopefully not too much. <laughs> I don't care for that. But, A little drier in character, I think, on this. Uh, can you see what the data is on that? Did we put it on there? When? Oh, when? Well, what? Do we have a month? Oh, June of 11. So uh, about a year now. And uh, we put it out probably in... November, December, I bet. And so um, uh, I can tell you that it, it is it used to be kind of hot. And hot is kind of a description of, um, of a beer that is dominated by the alcohol content. Um, but usually during age or sometimes in the process of brewing, the hotness goes away. And so I, th I really think the hotness has gone away on this, that uh, over time... Now we have a very drinkable beer, and um, and it's the kind of beer that after you have a sip, savor it. You want another? Eleven? Ten? Eleven? They're all about a ten or eleven. Okay, eleven three.
Yeah. Well, the question is, um, do the uh, certain flavors dissipate over time, I guess is the gist of what you're asking. Right. And uh, I would say that one of the most volatile characteristics of, of beers is the hoppy character. And so uh, over time, I would say that dissipates, just like what you're saying. Um, but it it kind of melds into the uh, the the malt characteristic and just builds a uh, kind of a more complex beer. And so we're trying something different on Woodcut Six, where we're really hopping it up, and um, we're going to see if uh, if over time it does the same thing that what you're talking about. But that's my my experience is that no matter how you make the beer. Eventually, all the flavors meld to um, a uh, you know a very smooth and satisfying beer. Hopefully, it doesn't get bad, like oxidized. <laughs> um, there's a lot of hops, and the the question was on Woodcut Six: Are we how are we using the hopping? A uh, lot of hops in the brew kettle. Uh, we also have a hop back at Odell Brewing Company um, where some of the beers that we produce, like our five barrel and our IPA, um, and our pond hopper downstairs, we uh, use our hop back where we introduce uh, whole flower hops at the very end of the boiling process to bring out nice, fresh hop flavor and aroma. In uh, woodcut number six, we did the same thing. We have, have kind of stayed away from hops on the Woodcut series, but this time we tried, we tried it. We'll see how it goes. Uh, we'll see how hops age. Uh, we don't really know. And so if in two years I'm back here trying uh, our Woodcut 6, let me know how it went. <laughs> That's what's fun about brewing is that, I mean, you can make a, a nice wheat beer or amber ale or even a pale ale these days but so much is uh, experimentation and so that's what we're involved in it's kind of the fringe of our business but it's the funnest part to see just what we can do uh, I guess next experimental brew um, no, it's not a secret. It, it, we just have so many going on. I mean, uh, we have a pilot system. <coughs> Our main brewing system is 50 barrel, which is uh, 31 gallons to a barrel, so 1,500 gallons. And then we have a pilot system, which is five barrels. And there are about nine people at our brewery who... Uh, know how to brew on the pilot system and it's really up to all those nine people on what they're going to brew and so when I, when I defer to your question all I'm saying is that I don't know what some of our people are doing <laughs> but I encourage them to do so Are you, you talking about number five? Okay. You know, up until about uh, three or four months ago, I thought it was kind of hot. Um, hot meaning uh, the alcohol in the in the beer kind of predominates, and it and you can feel it in your mouth and your your throat here when you when you sip it. Uh, but what you're saying is maybe it's coming together. Oh, good. Uh-huh. 
Right. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's any question that when you taste beers that are a year to four years old or even longer, that the uh, predominant character is going to be dried fruit. Uh, that's just what comes out of, uh, of the maltose and the malted barley that you use to uh, brew the beer. But it's, the distinction is how that plays out and what are the other characteristics of a beer. And that's what's beautiful about aged beer, is that you never know exactly how it's going to be. All right. Uh, I got, I'm here for questions, but otherwise, uh, thanks for coming. And um, we might have some more beer over here if you want to try some more. But anyway, thanks a lot. One more thing I forgot to mention earlier, that all the savers salons are going to be recorded by craftbeerradio.com. So you can check out craftbeerradio.com after the event's over to listen to this or any of the other salons that happen this weekend. Thanks for listening to this Saver Salon. Craft Beer Radio is a mostly weekly beer podcast where we attempt to educate and entertain. If you haven't heard our podcast, we invite you to find us on iTunes or go to our website at craftbeerradio.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Please visit craftbeerradio.com for more information.